This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. The MBTA is in full-blown crisis. So says a recent report released by the Massachusetts Taxpayers Foundation. Greater Boston's public transit system has been plagued by seemingly intractable safety and service problems that include deadly accidents and the current one-month shutdown of the entire Orange Line, from Oak Grove and Malden to Forest Hills and Jamaica Plain. The beleaguered T has seemed immune to reform despite the attention of regional elected officials, including the estimable skills of outgoing Governor Baker, who made fixing the T a cornerstone of his 2015 policy agenda after witnessing the complete failure of the red line a month into his first term. Now in the final months of his second term, the governor must look on as the Federal Transit Administration steps in from Washington and imposes safety shutdowns and comprehensive improvement mandates. Now with the certainty of new leadership in the State House, an impatient public must demand fundamental reform to ensure our prosperous region is not hamstrung by a dysfunctional public transit system. How did we get here? What is the nature and scope of the problems? And what should the public demand from policymakers to put the T on track for future service excellence? My guest today is Andrew Bagley, Vice President for Policy and Research at Massachusetts Taxpayers Foundation, who led the research team that released the report entitled, The MBTA Crisis is Complicated, Fixing It Will Be Too. The report analyzes the sources and magnitude of the T's challenges, including the past fiscal and management missteps, and recommends needed changes the next governor, state legislators, and congressional delegates must make to resuscitate the T to better serve the future vibrant greater Boston economy. When I return, I'll be joined by Massachusetts Taxpayer Foundation, Andrew Bagley. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi, and I'm now pleased to be joined by Vice President for Policy and Research at the Massachusetts Taxpayer Foundation, Andy Bagley. Welcome to Hubwonk, Andy. Thank you, Joe. Pleasure to be here. Okay, well, we're going to dive into an area of research that you uh, study deeply, um, but our listeners, I think, are uh, all perhaps equally perplexed by um, by it. Uh, we're going to talk about the T or the MBTA. Um, it's at the top of the news uh, this week, this month, and it has been, I think, really for the last seven years uh, with its various problems. So uh, Massachusetts Taxpayer Foundation just released a report entitled The MBTA Crisis is Complicated, Fixing it will be too. So it's my hope in the time we have together to uh, have our listeners hopefully find it a little less complicated when we're talking about solutions. So let's start slowly at the beginning and, and uh, give our listeners a little bit of context about the, the size of the MBTA, how many people are on there, uh, and we'll go from there. So uh, where, how big is the T in terms of moving people, us, us Bostonians and regional people around? Well, pre-pandemic, uh, there were probably about a million trips per day during uh, the weekday. Um, I think we're down to about 60% of that, uh, and that fluctuates Monday through Friday ridership, although it's starting to climb back a bit. Okay. So, uh, of course, the, the pandemic was disruptive to everyone. Uh, one hopes that... Uh, uh, we will gradually return to uh, pre-pandemic levels, but let's set that aside for a second. What, the, the trains need to uh, run whether they're full or not. What, what is the uh, budget for the, uh, the T? The, let's, uh, let's assume it's between 600,000 and a million people. How much does the budget, uh, the T spend each, each year to, to get that done? 
So we'll look at the latest fiscal year. Uh, the full budget is about $2.4 billion. About 500 million of that is debt service, um, paying for old debt, principal interest. So the operations side is about 1.9, just, just short of uh, $2 billion. So $2 billion, you, you mentioned debt servicing. That's, uh, the, I guess, not a productive, uh, you know, that, that goes to the banks. Um, the remaining $2 billion, how does that break down? We're often heard, told uh, there's line items such as, um, of course, maintenance, just, you know, getting through the day. Uh, there's repairing um, uh, tracks and old cars. And of course, and there's the ambitious plans to uh, improve or grow the service like the Green Line extension and such. So how does that money break down by, by those categories? So the first thing you need to do is separate the operating budget from the capital budget. Mm -hmm. So the operating budget really is about the operations and maintenance of uh, bus, uh, uh, commuter rail, the ferries, and uh, rapid transit. Uh, the four major uh, um, modes, if you will. Um, and you can break that down further by what costs go to personnel, what costs go to materials. Um, your personnel costs are probably around $700 million, probably another three, 400 million for material supplies, separate breakout for electricity, because uh, I think the T is one of the largest, if not the largest consumers of electricity. Uh, commuter rail is a contract out to Keolis. It's probably around 450, 500 million. We also run the paratransit service, which will cost about 120 million. So, uh, so it's complicated. Um, the top line numbers all fall into the bus uh, operators for the rapid transit, et cetera, whereas you can break out specific costs for commuter rail uh, paratransit, the ferries that are done through uh, contractors. Okay. I don't want to get too bogged down in the weeds of those details, but I just, I, I'm curious, uh, again, this is a big system, buses, trains, light rail, um, many uh, modes. Uh, who decides when we're, you know, that next dollar is coming in? Uh, where does that money go? Should it go uh, to a little more uh, maintenance or a little more uh, expansion of service or a little newer uh, car? What? Who decides where the money or the resource for the T gets spent? Well, certainly the general manager obviously is is driving that along with the uh, the assistant GMs responsible for operations, responsible for capital. Um, during the six years that the fiscal and management control board was um, uh, in oversight, uh, which was sort of a soft receivership. They reviewed those very rigorously and had uh, robust conversations about exactly what the priority should be. Uh, much of that was driven by how uh, the T could find efficiencies to produce same level of services, maybe for less money. Uh, they had uh, the exemption from the Pacheco law, for example, which allowed them to look at alternative ways contracting out for services. So a lot of this is driven by how can we provide the level of service while seeking ways to do it less expensively to maintain a uh, balanced budget? So the uh, general manager, uh, again, you mentioned the uh, FMCB, the Fiscal Management Control Board, that's, uh, as you say, soft, um, soft receivership. In other words, it's an oversight of a, of a system that perhaps managed itself in the past. So together they decide which is the right path uh, for improving the T. Some of that is efficiency. I, I know uh, uh, you mentioned um, 
I know personally that um, uh, they privatized, uh, what was it, the money counting system? Uh, this is a while back. Yeah. Uh, uh, to the consternation of, of some of the people who had been doing that before. Um, but uh, those kinds of efficiencies, um, so to do to do more with less, presumably. So let's talk about uh, where the money for the tea comes from. And I think perhaps this is worthy of our uh, attention uh, because it's up for much debate. Uh, you mentioned a, a $2 billion expense. Um, we know from studying cities around the world, no uh, no rapid transit system pays for itself ever. Uh, so how does our tea uh, pay for itself? Uh, well, before the pandemic, um, fair revenue um, contributed about a third, about a little over 33% of the bottom line, 2.4 billion. Uh, that's now dropped to about 19%. Um, and uh, just a significant loss of ridership, particularly in commuter rail, where uh, a significant amount of fair revenue uh, came in, in relationship to the number of riders. The state provides uh, funding through a pre-budget transfer predicated on sales tax revenues. Um, that's about 55%, uh, about 1.3 billion in this uh, current fiscal year. You, the legislature appropriated about 187 million uh, to the T this year. Um, that's about 8%. Um, you also have uh, municipal governments contribute about 8%. Uh, and then there's the, the remaining federal relief funds. Uh, they received a total of about $2 billion and they spread that over FY 20, 21, 22. Some of those monies are currently used in 23 and they may have a little bit left for 24. So. The federal funds, they're one time, they will disappear uh, very shortly, in which case the team will have to figure out how do they backfill uh, those uh, Fed funds. So let's take those uh, one at a time. Uh, you, you, you clearly have a, a wonderful familiarity with the, with the numbers. Uh, fares um, are no longer uh, as high a percentage of, of the cost as they were. Um, forgive my naive question, but when ridership goes down, does service go down? In other words, is, is there a, a, a are, are costs constant, or do they, uh, in some ways, uh, get reduced when ridership falls off, or, or or is it a straight line? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, the when the MBTA was looking at the impacts of COVID in in twenty twenty. They were looking that they had received an initial, I think, about a billion dollars in federal funds they knew they had, but they were looking at multiple years of shortages. So they were trying to reduce services to uh, to basically uh, reduce costs. And uh, what lawmakers, including the congressional delegation, made clear was, look, we're we're getting you these federal funds. You need to run full service. So uh, the MBTA kept running relatively close to full service or as close as they could. That was disrupted more by issues of uh, drivers, operators um, having COVID, um, or now uh, they have shortages of personnel, both in operators of rail lines and bus drivers. Um, these are, they're becoming increasingly hard to hire. There's a lengthy process to hire. Uh, operators and bus drivers. So um, they're running effectively full service tied to their human capacity at this point. 
I see. Uh, so there's really not a relationship or has not been a relationship between ridership and, and costs. Uh, ridership goes no. up and down. Costs remain relatively constant. Um, the, you talk about tax revenue. Um, we've heard about, despite the, the COVID um, pandemic, that uh, uh, sales have been robust in the state. Um, has, has that not in any way compensated for the reduction in, in uh, ridership revenue? So the sales tax revenues that come, uh, a percentage of which goes to the MBTA, um, those numbers are up about $200 million annually from the beginning of COVID. So that is a fairly robust amount of money uh, increase for the T. And it is, um, that's a floor. So that money never goes down. Uh, it will remain constant for years if you don't see growth in sales tax revenues year over year. But that was a, uh, a, a good source of new revenues. Um, the problem, though, is their expenses are now back growing over 4% per year, and their revenues are sub 2%, particularly when you realize the fair revenues are down as much as they are. And that trend line means that they're likely to run a two to three hundred billion, a million dollar, sorry, two to three hundred million dollar operating problem in fiscal 24, and that will continue to grow out to 400, maybe even 500 million. So this was a, a problem they had back in the pre-2015, before the control board, where expenses were growing far faster than revenues. Uh, the T was uh, made some real progress in controlling cost growth, but they're having to hire uh, a lot more people for safety. They're now responsible for the operations of the Green Line extension and South Coast Rail, which will lose about 40, 50 million a year when you think about the cost versus uh, net new revenues. And those uh, operating costs just continue to grow. So the divergence between the, the revenue and the costs uh, have started way back uh, in 2015, but I think your organization has, has characterized what's coming up as a fiscal cliff. That is, I think, uh, that divergence between costs and revenue uh, exists. It had existed before. It was structural, but it was somewhat papered over by the uh, money given by the federal government that's going to ultimately run out. Um, uh, you can see it, and perhaps those who study it more closely also can see it. Uh, we've had, as you say, a uh, soft receivership that has tried to um, rein in costs and has had some success, but clearly not enough. So let's get into the uh, hard part of, of, of the conversation, which is uh, if we've tried um, soft receivership and uh, it doesn't seem to be working, uh, with your organization or you personally, you know, what can be done? Let, let's start at the, at the top level in a management perspective. You know, is this a sort of... Um, a failure of effective management, or are these very effective managers that are just not given enough money? So before we jump into just this conversation, which is really targeted on the operating budget, we should have also a conversation about the capital budget. Sure. So the capital budget is how do you actually fix your infrastructure? Um, and you, the, the MBTA, like many other agencies, sell bonds or 20, 30 years, and that's how they acquire the debt to pay for new red line cars, new orange line cars, fixing um, signals, tracks, power. Um, the backlog of uh, assets that are in need of repair is well in excess of $10 billion, could be higher. 
So, so um, I just want to make sure I understand. So you're saying take a snapshot today. If we wanted to bring everything up to, you know, working uh, fitness, we would need to invest $10 billion. Uh, you know, forgive the, the crudeness of the term, but just to get back to zero, we're $10 billion in the hole at this moment. If you just wanted to replace all of the existing infrastructure that is, uh, is uh, below par, mm-hmm. but if you also want to modernize, uh, which means that you don't repair, you don't replace a rail with an equivalent rail. You you replace it with something as better technology, uh, better performance. So you're really upgrading as well. So the MBTA put out a um, a report, uh, actually a presentation at the end of the control board last year in June, and said. Uh, not thinking about how much money we have, just thinking about how much money do we need to spend over the next 10 years on the existing system, including Green Line Extension and South Coast Rail, because those were underway. Uh, and they arrived at a figure around $25 billion um, during that 10-year period. Uh, resources they could point to were about $13 billion. And that includes the new federal infrastructure money. So as of last June, they were about $12 billion short over the next 10 years um, just to deal with the existing system. That does not include climate resilient infrastructure, which Lord knows is another couple of billion. Uh, the, the T is working on an updated capital assessment uh, need study that will come out this fall. That will be much more indicative because I think they'll have much more information on what it's going to take to protect their assets from climate change, sea level rise, storm surge. Uh, so we'll have a, a better handle or more accurate handle, but I suspect the number is going to be larger than 25 billion and the gap will be larger than 12 billion. So that's how do you actually improve the system? I mean, if you want to replace the red line cars, the orange line cars, you have to not only buy them, but you have to get them uh, prepared, tested, and online and running. Um, and all of that comes out of the capital budget. So when we talk about a cliff, we're actually talking about two. One is the operating budget, which they legally have to balance every year. And the second is a capital budget that says these are the investments we need to make to make sure we have uh, the, the safe, reliable service that everybody is expecting and demanding. So to me, the um, again, for those scholars who are studying this topic and those managers who are on the front lines trying to make it happen, uh, it's not a mystery of how, what the shortfall is. What seems to be the mystery is where the money is going to come from. So if you, know, you, you brought that into our focus, um, is it a rhetorical question? Uh, where is this money going to come from? Uh, assuming it, 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 there's nowhere to get it, or has someone suggested a viable strategy for uh, funding the long-term capital needs of the T? Well, let me just say that uh, the T got into this situation because the from about 2005 to 2015, uh, the MBTA had to come up with all kinds of ways of balancing its operating budget. And so they used their capital budget. They, they borrowed very little to limit their, their debt service costs because of the operating budget. They sometimes paid some personnel or some uh, other costs, some of their debt uh, service costs out of their capital budget. They were spending about $400 million, uh, a year on capital, not all of it on assets. 
one of the things the control board was able to accomplish, and it was, I mean, they, they accomplished a lot of magnificent changes there, one of which was to get the T up to spending about almost $2 billion a year on capital, which, is, which means that a lot of this money is now just starting to get into the system, but it's going to take years to catch up from all of the underinvestment. So there's now 10 years... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, we're, we're talking about there's 10 years of underinvestment, largely the you're, you're sort of describing the tea eating its seed corn, right? It's using capital money for operating expenses. Uh, essentially, I, I don't know, in, in the corporate terms, you say this is deferred maintenance, something that, you know, ultimately has to be addressed, but isn't addressed. So for 10 years, it was doing that. And we, here, you know, come 2015, again, I remember it well with the, the, the tea's disaster during the snow apocalypse of 2015, the red line shutting down. At that point, they were already, you know, the, the, the die was cast and, and, and they were already in the hole for capital expenditures by quite a bit at that time. Correct. And, it, and the T was, they weren't silent about this. They made it clear to many of us who followed it, including the legislature, that they were having difficulties balancing their budget and there were fare increases and there was additional resources, but they only marginally closed the gap each year. Um, and we've never really structurally addressed this imbalance. Uh, even during the control board, we, the legislature has not come up with a revenue package sufficient to deal with this particular gap on the operating side. On the capital side, um, this is something we've been talking about for several years. Um, lawmakers have not taken action yet, but that's what's necessary. You're going to have to raise dedicated revenues that, that the T can use to sell bonds against, which means you know a, a revenue stream they can dedicate, whether it's gas tax or sales tax monies they get, um, that's not in place. And as we pointed out numerous times, that's a, a crippling uh, impact on the future of the T. If we don't resolve uh, the financial health of the T, it can't dig its way out of the system. But in, the, in just to point out in the latest report, we just put out what we're linking together is, yes, they really do have to fix their physical infrastructure and that's gonna take a while. They really need fiscal health. And frankly, in about two years, they hit these cliffs. And then they have to have a, a functioning organization. And when your workforce is down 10% and you're having trouble hiring, uh, you've got an awful lot of, of struggles that you need to do a tackle simultaneously because each one of those will undermine your ability to do reliable, safe service. So I'm sure each of our listeners listens with, their, with his own ears and says, okay, is this sort of uh, a government at its worst or, or an unaccountable uh, um, Byzantine system that, that, that we can't really... Uh, fix and we need to throw it out and root, root and branch and start over? Or, or is there a meaningful way to um, untangle this thread and, in a sense, uh, assure, I'm, I'm sure legislators are reluctant to throw money at a system if they're not confident that that money would be uh, well spent and, and, and well allocated. How, how do you see the, uh, I, I won't leap to the, if you were king for a day or you had every legislator's ear uh, for the, at this moment to, as a way forward, where do you see the, the best path forward? Well, a couple of things. Um, you talk about, you know, the last seven years, it's been, you know, a struggle and where's the T now? You know, for the last seven years, during, uh, at least under the control board, it's been the most transparent 
uh, operation that you can find in state government. I mean, 24 to 30 public meetings a year, um, lengthy agendas, uh, advocates talking, lawmakers talking. We have far greater insight into the operations of the T, where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and the challenges of trying to, to rebuild an organization. So it may feel to many as Byzantine, but, but frankly, we have far greater insight into the challenges of the T than pretty much any other place in state government. Um, and then these notions that, well, why don't we just uh, put it in receivership or hand it off to the FDA or stick it under a mascot, it really doesn't do anything to actually fix the challenges. It just shifts to somebody else to say, you're going to have to figure out how to get the, uh, the resources you need from lawmakers to provide the level of service that they say they want. Uh, you're going to have to provide the resources uh, and the time so they can fix their infrastructure, which we know is going to take years to do. And you're going to have to figure out how does the T actually become uh, not only a functioning organization with better communication, both with the public and outside, but how do they staff up and how do they replace a lot of the senior personnel who left uh, in the last five years, either to deal with early retirement programs because of operating budgets or COVID. Um, I mean, one of the things we know is that every public transit agency in the country is, is struggling uh, to, to get the staff they need and the T is in no different position. So um, it's incredibly challenging, but uh, what we wanna make sure is people are aware, particularly the next administration, that you can't just pick one of these and solve them and think that the T will come back and, and run service as it did in this heyday. So uh, again, forgive my um, ignorance here, but it, it sounds like, I mean, you push clearly push back on the fact that it, it you know, it, it isn't um, a mysterious process. It's well understood. It's in the public's eye and, and um, um, anybody who cares to can scrutinize the T's operation by joining any number of those public meetings. I've actually, you know, sat through a few. Um, so we know the problem, we know the cost, uh, we know it'll take money and time uh, you know, there's voters on those trains. Why isn't, you know, I guess who's on the other side of, of this argument? If the legislators uh, know the T is vital to the success of the biggest economic region of, of Massachusetts by far, who doesn't want to fix the T or who doesn't want to fund uh, the fixing of the T? Well, I think everyone wants to fund the T. Everyone wants to fix the T. Everyone would like somebody else to pay for funding the T. <laughs> And there's always some other source with bigger pockets that we, you know, we think will we'd like to rely on. You know, voting for uh, gas tax increases is hugely unpopular, has been for, for a long time. These are not easy votes for legislators to take. Um, and so we talk about all the things we want the T to do. We even have um, candidates talking about reduce fare, free fares. Um, there's, there are some good arguments for reduced fares for, um, uh, for certain elements of the population that are uh, transit dependent, et cetera. We rarely hear the conversations as, okay, well, how are you gonna backfill those revenues you lost? Because you're asking the T to provide more services without the resources to do it. And that's the conversation we have long felt 
needs to be in, in the public domain. We, we need to talk about not just the T servers you want, but the T servers you're willing to pay for. Sure. Now, we are approaching a, um, an election year. We, we are guaranteed a new administration. We don't know who that will be yet, but um, uh, are candidates in your mind, uh, whether they be in the legislator, legislative branch or our uh, future governor, are, are they at least campaigning with what you consider a, an awareness uh, of the problem and a, and a, a familiarity with, with the challenges and, and the, the, the list of solutions in front of them? I believe it's growing. I mean, one of the reasons we did we released this report when we did was to try to frame uh, the scope of the problem uh, to help people understand it's more than just trying to find some money or 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 just trying to fix the the orange line uh, over the next thirty days. But I do think both the FTA intervention and this shutdown has sobered up a lot of people, not just riders, but I think lawmakers, to understand that this problem has gotten to a point where it's, it's urgent and we're gonna need to focus on it over the next 18 months to two years to make sure that we're starting to make the course correction that, that uh, is so essential. Now, um, in, you know, I've been in Boston nearly 30 years, of, you know, an avid rider of the T, although I have my own criticisms of, of, of the system. In the decision to grow, I mean, it seemed like a massive project, the uh, Green Line Extension or um, uh, uh, the, the Red Line South. Um, how is it that we've decided to, knowing full well that we were, that the uh, capital expenditures were, were short, why would we expand when, uh, let's say, uh, the, the basic knitting of the T wasn't being met? Is there, um, you know, is there a reason we would, in a sense, overreach when we really didn't have our, uh, our our basics covered? Well, yes, there are. And obviously, that's why we do it. For the Green Line extension, has got a different story. That was an agreement that the state reached with the federal government for the funding for the big dig. Um, if we were going to increase capacity of the roadways, there was a counter, what investments are you going to make to reduce greenhouse gas emissions? And the Green Line ex, uh, extension was one of a series of projects that we agreed we would do. I think most of the others we negotiated away, like the red, red line, blue line connector, that somehow we were able to take that off the list. But the Green Line extension was something that we had committed to. And the federal government put in over a third of the money. Uh, actually, they put in almost half the money. It's 2.3 billion. The feds put in about a billion. So there is a sense that from the state that if we reneged on the commitment and if we reneged on a billion dollars in uh, federal money, uh, that wouldn't serve us well going forward when we needed federal support. South Coast Rail is a slightly different conversation. I think every, I've been uh, here for about 40 years and I think every person who's run for governor has in one way or another promised South Coast Rail uh, that we would have that, um, you know, by the end of whoever was running for office, uh, Governor Baker made the same promise when he was campaigning way back when in 2014, and he decided he wanted to live up to it, um, that he made a commitment and he felt like this was the right time to do it. Uh, you can argue that um, this challenges the rest of the MBTA. Um, I will say these are specific projects where they bring in a project manager and they're almost separate teams. 
but on the other hand, um, those are energies that did not get spent on uh, basic maintenance that you know we know we need, um, but aren't very popular until they don't work. Well, uh, those decisions, let's call it water under the bridge, or I guess uh, water uh, along the tracks, whatever uh, metaphor we want to use. Uh, again, getting back to the king for a day, it, 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 at, regardless of where the revenue comes from, by your estimate, let's imagine again you're king for a day and you could generate revenue from either an increase in tax or perhaps from re reducing expenses elsewhere in, in the uh, in the uh, nearly billion dollar a week budget of the um, uh, state government in, in um, Beacon Hill. What would it cost? How much additional funding to the T would be required each year going forward? Uh, to make uh, to put us on a glide path to a well-functioning mass transit system. So, uh, looking at the the data released by the T on their ten-year capital needs, we estimated to deal with both the operating and capital budgets. We're probably talking about one point three billion dollars of additional monies each year, um, and that would need to really be preferably dedicated monies that didn't have to be appropriated every year by the legislature. That number is likely to climb given uh, a lot of the safety issues that the FTA has highlighted and this new capital assessment this, that uh, the T is undergoing that will include the climate change issues. But, you know, put it at 1.5 billion-ish, you then run into, a, frankly, a capacity issue. Can the MBTA spend three billion plus a year in capital programs? Do they have a sufficient number of people? Do they have not just program managers, do they have enough electricians and mechanics and engineers and safety operations people? And currently they don't. Uh, they don't to do two, $2 billion. So part of this is also a staffing issue. It's a, it's a human capacity. It's a supply chain issue. Do you have enough contractors who aren't working in other states that can can um, can really manage that size or produce that size of capital investment, and at some point there's going to come a, a conversation about well how how big a T can we afford, and the other conversation I think post COVID is going to be how have transportation patterns changed, have they changed in some ways permanently, and how does the MBTA the public transit system adjust to new um, traffic patterns if we see fewer and fewer people coming into the Boston metro area, or we see more companies moving satellite hubs closer to where their employees live, um, we may have to rethink how does public transit meet a future need that is quite different from what it was pre-COVID. So there are very challenging problems ahead. Uh, and it isn't simply, can we get back to 2019, only do it better? We may have to do it differently. Indeed, that's an important point you make. Of course, uh, having enough money uh, presupposes you have the ability to spend that money once it's been given. So you're saying the limiting constraint right now for the T is not the lack of money, but rather the lack of, of organizational infrastructure to deploy that money in a way that uh, will you know, meaningfully improve the T. Uh, it, it, so, so let me just correct. Let me just clarify that the, the most recent capital plan, FY23 of 27, they think they have about $9 billion available. 
Some of that are from funds that they were not able to spend earlier, either federal or dedicated uh, their own source funding. So some of that's been shifted. But when you get past there, when all of the, the federal money is gone, the Green Line extension is finished, all the state money that was used to buy the Green, uh, green Line trains, Orange Line trains, red, all that money is exhausted. Then the T is able to spend roughly, they, their resources are about a billion a year. And their spend clip is going to have to be up around 2.5 billion just to continue to, re to replace, update, and modernize. So in a couple of years, um, they truly will hit a cliff where they may have get, developed the capacity to spend. They will suddenly not have the resources they need. So uh, we you touched on it earlier, um, and only briefly, that you didn't think the conversations about a well, we've, we've already talked about a soft receivership, but a hard receivership where you know the government steps in and says, "Look, uh, enough is enough. Let's 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 uh, uh, take this over and, and make it right." You don't see those types of out side interventions as a, a meaningful or useful. I mean, it might give some people some uh, satisfaction uh, of some sort, but it, it, it won't really fix the problem. Well, uh, no, I don't believe it will, because unless you have divine intervention or you, uh, you really are the wizard, um, you're trying to solve the same problems that everybody else was, and, and they've been dedicated and trying to figure it out. What we do know, though, is that the FTA did take uh, WMATA, uh, the Washington Metro, uh, into receivership uh, back in 2015, and then in 2019 turned it back over after they felt that a lot of the safety issues had been addressed, and WMATA to this day is still a mess. Um, so the fact that the FTA took it over for three years and tried to get it, you know, change the priorities, change their spending to make sure they were addressing these key safety elements, probably improve their safety record, but WMATA is uh, probably in as bad a shape as we are. So uh, you mentioned so, that the so there's, there's no magic exit from this. This is going to take a lot of hard, hard work and a lot of very hard decisions. Well, for, yeah, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the solution to a bad uh, sort of government agency is not the intervention of yet another bigger government agency. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to, to that. That argument. Uh, I, 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 we're, we're recording uh, after a um, an interview with uh, our, our uh, um, Congressman Lynch, who uh, represents the. He's on the Transportation Committee in the in the Congress, and he had actually recommended uh, receivership. Um, uh, but to his to his point, um, if if we're looking for another one and a half billion dollars of additional funding, is there an opportunity for the federal government to uh, to to step in and say, "Look, we we like what Boston is. We like uh, mass transit. We think it's a green solution, and we think it's uh, we want to encourage it." Is there a story to be made for a federal government, um, if not coming in to manage the T, coming in to um, uh, give it some uh, investment uh, uh, to make the shortfall a little bit smaller? Well, one can always hope. Mm -hmm. um, but you start with New York and the MTA, which their gaps are make ours look paltry. Um, so whatever funding you decide uh, you want to get from the federal government, they're going to have to look at the other major cities, Chicago, Philadelphia, Washington, and then New York. Um, and part of the political problem is uh, these are all blue cities in relatively blue states. 
Um, and there's always a fight for, no, we need more money for highways. And, and there are so many more people traveling in cars and rural areas. So uh, it's always an uphill struggle to secure funding for public transit. Um, but it doesn't mean you don't stop because they, they clearly uh, have more resources than we'll ever have. So we're getting to the end of our show. I just want to ask you a pointed question. Um, we're recording just as the Orange Line is being shut down for a month. I think this is unprecedented. I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, deliberately shut down. I think it is unprecedented. Um, uh, do you think that's a, again, this may be beyond your scope of uh, research, but is that a, a wise choice to, in a sense, say, look, we're, we're going to get, get to the bottom of this. We're going to fix the whole darn line from uh, stem to stern and uh, turn it back on on September 18th. It, do you think that was a prudent approach to the the challenge? I think I think the alternatives are a lot worse. Um, if you look at uh, the MTA in New York for a comparison, I, I forget which line it was that they shut down in its entirety, but New York is big enough um, that they had parallel line that they could move those who were I think the L the L branch whatever I forget which one onto another branch that could run similar service. If you look at the T-Map, we don't have that. We don't have redundancy. Um, and you cannot fix a T, uh, those tunnels and everything in them without prolonged access. Now, you can argue, did we have enough planning for this? Was there sufficient time? Uh, did we have sufficient, you know, Ability to move people around. We'll find out after 30 days because this did come on fairly quickly. Um, but I think that uh, I think even the mayor of Boston was urging them to say, you're, you're going to have to do this type of bold move uh, if you're going to get this service back up and running and people will trust it and rely on it. Um, but the disruptions are um, are incredibly painful. Indeed. I think it's ironic that people who are discussing with the T say, oh, this is a disruption from sh shutting down the orange line. Let's just scrap the whole T. I'm like, well, if shutting down the orange line for a month disrupts the city, what would what would shutting down the whole T do to the city? You know, it, you don't see the inherent contradiction in such a, a, an absurd assertion. So. Well, we, what we learned in 2015 is the, this, the, the Boston economy doesn't work terribly well without public transit. Indeed, we all rely either rely on the T or rely on people who rely on the T. So uh, we're nobody is is uh, safe from a, a good uh, operation of the T. So um, we're at the end of our time together. I, I, I thought your uh, your organization's paper was wonderful. Uh, again, it's called the MBTA crisis is complicated. Fixing it will be too. I think that's the sort of that would be the theme of our conversation today. Where where can listeners find out more about uh, the Massachusetts, Massachusetts Taxpayer Foundation? Uh, just go to masstaxpayers.org, our website, and you'll find all of our publications. And they're organized by area. So just look at transportation, and you'll find everything we've written about the MBTA. Well, that's very good. Thank you very much, Andy, for your time and for your expertise and for the hard work you, uh, uh, you dedicate to understanding this very uh, uh, complex system called uh, the T. Thank you for being with us on Hubwonk today. Thank you very much for having me. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are several ways to support Hubwonk and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. If you'd like to make it easier for others to find Hubwonk, it would be great if you offer a five-star rating 
or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you want to share Hubwog with friends. If you have ideas or suggestions or comments for me about future episode topics, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. Hubwonk.